Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Believe in Temple Football Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. I am John DiCarlo, editor of Valscoop.com, and I'm joined once again, as I always am, by Adam DeMichael, Temple's former quarterback and assistant coach, sporting a fresh new haircut. Yeah, 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 man. See, I, uh... I can tell you, it looks looks good. He looks sharp. What's up, buddy? How are you? Oh, man. Thanks for the, the compliment, man. Um, I'm doing okay, man. How about yourself? You doing okay? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I get the new haircut. Got a you know my cousin's wedding, and then a you know a good friend of mine. Um, we give him a little shout out. Dan Walsh is getting married uh, tomorrow. He's been a we've been on like little league team together all throughout high school, and then you know we we've uh, we've been really close ever since. So he's getting married tomorrow, and then my young cousin we call him Twizzler. He's getting married tomorrow. So I'm trying to you know we're battling back and forth. Me and my wife are gonna head to you know a little mixture of both. So I mean, one's One's allowing kids, one's not. So we're trying to, you know, figure that all out. But yeah, me and the boys got a fresh cut. I, I posted something on Twitter, man. I'm gonna have to get to believe people to to retweet it out, get us some more followers out there, man. Um, but kind of disappointed. Uh, you know, my uh, prediction of the game last week didn't go as as planned. Um, and you know, I think this is kind of the perfect time for this bye week to hit us. Yeah, I think the 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 way the game played out. We talked about this on our Outscoop podcast too. I think it had a lot of the elements that we were talking about, and that this was a winnable game. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, anybody could say this, but they just they didn't take advantage of opportunities over and over again. But this was not. You could see for those of you who are listening to this podcast now, the game's in your rearview mirror by this point. But if you watched it, you know that that was. And again, I'm certainly not trying to take anything away from Temple, especially what DJ Elliott's group did. On defense there, it's still good offense, but there's no, you know, Kenny Gamewell, Calvin Austin, players like that. It's a winnable game, but there's still issues on offense that they're struggling with, still issues that they're struggling with on special teams. So I I think that we weren't too far off when we were saying that this was a winnable game, but right, several things just didn't go well. I mean, yeah, we're sitting here, you know, the, the final score was whatever the final score, and they, they covered the – the spread, like I told told you, and you know, I, I felt like they weren't eighteen points better than us. You know, we're talking what was it, ten to three with eight minutes left, yeah, in the game, and you know what I'm saying, ten to three, and and you could say whatever you want. The score is a score, you know, we lost, we lost, but that's a winnable game at that moment right there. And um, like you mentioned before, the defense is playing extremely good football, and it's it's football that you know you can get excited about. It's um, you know, a team that at least one side of the ball that looks excited that's you know, flying around the football when things are a little dicey, they still find ways to, you know, overcome and, you know, get through a little bit of adversity. Uh, I mean, you're talking, like you just mentioned, John, you know, a first-half shutout. They, they played some good football for us defensively. And like you mentioned, special teams and offense, this bye week could be, um, you know, pivotal to the rest of the season for, for those two sides of the ball if the defense continues to play at a high level. Before we get a little bit further into this, a reminder that the Believe in Temple Football podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. 
Football, as you know, is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like Major League Baseball, which is going on right now. Um, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So you can head to betonline.org. Uh, actually, excuse me, betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, going back to this Memphis game, you know, as we said, the defense pitches a shutout in the first half. I got a, a bunch of stuff I want to ask you, Adam. Um, just beyond like your your general impressions of the game and you've hit on some of those things so far, you know, EJ Warner is going to be a storyline every week. In my humble opinion, people are going to look at his stat line, 18 of 37, less than 50% of his passes. He completed for 245 yards. You're going to look at the three picks. All of them came in the fourth quarter. I thought he had a pretty good read on the first one, just, you know, was intercepted the second and third. I kind of feel like it's late in the game. He's just trying to make, yeah. Just trying to make something happen. Was that yeah. kind of your read on that? Or yeah, it wrong? kind of feels like, uh, you know, we talked about Kenny Pickett last week and how he just got, I would say, thrown into the game last week. Yeah. And, you know, comes in and those three balls and those three interceptions, everyone's like, well, there's still three interceptions. But, you know, when you look back, it's like, hey, you know, what, what, what was the situation like? You know what I mean? Was he forced mm-hmm. to make those throws? Was, were they winning? Were they losing? So you have to kind of look at that with a grain of salt. I know as a quarterback and a competitor, you never want to see those turnovers. We talked about it last week, John. Our turnover margin is just, you know, it's brutal right now. You know, yeah. whatever we were last week, minus eight, now we're minus 11 or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And that's just not playing winning football. Um, but, you know, in EJ's case, I think it's like, um, I think it's going to just take a little bit of time. Um, I know we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's he's young. Uh, he's, he's It's a new system to him. You know, it's, 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 you know, the offensive line is just, you know, it's different every week. And I know, and when I played, John, I never sat there and said, oh, crap. And I know some maybe some quarters that this guy playing right guard is not going to block. No, it's like you have a job. He has a job. This guy, your left tackle has a job. You have to trust him. It seems like uh, for the most part, um, besides maybe two throws, I thought that he rushed the entire game. And I was like, crap. I wish he could have those back. Was the the the, the first uh, or the second drive of the game, it was when you know, we had a chance to – the score um, after that Jose long, long Jose Barbone long catch. Mm-hmm. You know, we ran the ball and then we threw the ball three straight times from the four yard line. And on fourth down, I know you look at it. I think they went, you know, a four by one, a quad set. I think he rushed that ball. I think mm-hmm. he had a little more time. Maybe he could have either scrambled to find a play or, you know what I mean? Maybe there was another option. Obviously, I don't, I don't know what they're doing offensively. I thought that's when he rushed. And then the other one that I looked back and I'm like, I wish he would have got back. It's not even the interception. It was the fourth down uh, that we were just talking about when they were down 10 three with about eight minutes left. He threw the ball in the flat to David Martin Robinson, and it was just over over his head, and you know sailed yeah. on him. I think those are the two balls where it's like, if he just completes one of those, or we go up and score that drive, is the game different? I mean, usually, mm-hmm. you know, you go up on a team at home, you go up on a team like Memphis, and you know, and our defense playing the the way they do, it's like momentum just switches so so very fast. And um, I just think, like I said, it's just gonna gonna take a little while for for EJ to come along, and people have to stay patient because. The staff sees him every week. If there was somebody better than him, 
they would be playing him or giving him a chance. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. that's really what it comes down to. They they know what he can do and what he can't. And like I said, if there was somebody better or, you know what I mean, if, if, if Quincy or someone along those lines, you know what I mean, if he, if he earned more time, they'd put him in there. But I think you just have to stay patient. I mean, I read a, a ton of stuff, John. I know you're in the same Facebook groups as I, as I am. And just saw how fast it goes from, you know, EJ being the savior to EJ being, yeah. you know, the goat. And it's like, guys, you have to just stay patient. It's, you know what I mean? If, yeah, like just imagine if thing if if EJ came out and next thing you know, John, it was he was eighteen for thirty seven, for four hundred yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions. And the defense gave up forty five points. Then what are we doing? You know, we're we're finding the negative on the other side of the ball. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But this kid has some qualities that you really like, that you're you know intrigued about. Um, I love seeing his dad's tweets. You know, what I mean that that kind of yeah. Kurt Warner's tweets about him seeing the field. And I wish I was kind of in them rooms. Like, you know, is he really that smart? You know what I mean, does he really yeah. see it the way his dad's saying? Yeah. And I mean, but again, if you look at the, the kid from Memphis, <laughs> um, you know, besides, you know, he did run the ball a little more than EJ did. And a couple of those were on scrambles and we were lighting him up a little bit defensively. But I mean, this dude was, and I'm looking at it right now, was 24 for 45 or 195 yards. You know, obviously no interceptions, but you could, that's supposed to be one of the best quarterbacks in the a, the AAC. So, and again, a, EJ didn't look, too far off from him and i know i'm being long-winded here but it's obviously a pivotal position i hopefully people like you know us talking about him and the things that he's doing and yeah. the things that he's you know not doing correctly um but if he could maybe limit a few of those i don't want to say bad decisions but you know i mean just give another team the ball and you know, maybe a couple of those again if you really look at it why we lost john is third down we were two for 16 and yeah on fourth down we were over three i yeah. mean we can pretty much shut the show off right now. And that's what people can ho- go home and talk about because mm-hmm. you can't win football games going two for 19 on third and fourth down and be 127th in the country going 18 for 69 in the year. Like you're not going to win any football yeah. game. So everyone's going to sit there and say, Adam, what's your answer? What's your answer? Like, I mean, again, I'm being super long winded. So listen up folks. But at the end of the day, John, like, like we would sit there and say, okay, let's limit the number of plays we have on third and, short let's let's go three plays on third and short let's go two plays on four to six three plays on this like you could limit them or you could just say hey listen on our third down packages we're going to use our base stuff mm-hmm. maybe with a motion or something but that's going to be our base stuff so that way because you only get to practice third down live one day right like one day and those are supposed to be the most pivotal plays in the game plan mm-hmm. you're talking about the base stuff you're doing your base stuff on sundays the day after the game sunday night practices or i don't know what temple does on sundays but you're practicing that stuff every single day. And you've been doing that since camp and since coach Drayton, the staff been here. So those are the two things you could do, but if we can't fix that third down thing on offense, I mean, you know, we're going to have a long, long season. No, I mean, you bring, everything you said there was, was beautifully said. I mean, they're, they're running, they're running the ball right now. And we talked about this on our Alscoop podcast. They're, they're running the ball at a rate right now. That is, it's as bad as it's been since your first season at Temple, that 2006 season. And you know, when Al was rebuilding things, you know, the offensive lineman, you had, you had a couple of like 250, 260 pound guards playing in front of you. And it was hard to move people. And right now, like, I, I know like a, a couple of, a couple of people might listen to this and think, sounds like you guys are making a ton of excuses for EJ Warner. I don't think we are. I mean, he's obviously got a ton to learn and he's a very young quarterback, but there's just, uh, there aren't a whole lot of things going on right around him. And they're just, 
you, you could look at it as like a chicken and egg thing. How much of it is the backs? How much of it is the line? I don't truly, truly know unless I'm in that, in that, you know, in that coach's room watching film with these guys, I would say it's probably might sound like a cop-out answer. It's probably a healthy combination of both, but this is their worst rushing clip. I think they're averaging something like 83 yards. Per game. I mean, this is the worst rushing performance they've had so far since that 2006 season. And I'm just wondering, you know, he's got like Jose Barbone. Finally, this was Jose's best game since EJ got the starting job. He's got a couple of like pretty decent receivers and Jose Barbone. Now he had a key drop. Uh, he had the right. six yarder. Donica Sanders, I think we can agree is a pretty good wide receiver. He's got a couple of viable tight ends, um, but he's only like Temple has only given up four sacks this year. I think that's just as much probably a tribute to EJ getting rid of the ball um, not maybe moving into pressure and just staying again. You probably explain this better than I, I could, but like not moving into pressure, staying in the, staying in the pocket. Um, but the line needs help. And again, I think that Chris Weezyhan is certainly searching for different combinations. It seems like they'll have different combinations. And then during the game, it's the same five guys building up continuity uh, and not, he's not doing a ton of subbing during the game. So uh, Rich Rodriguez came back, played center, Adam Klein bounced back out to right tackle, but they're just, I'm wondering Adam, like what they can do to set things up in the offense where they're just, I mean, they're just, they can't get anything going, you know, in, in the running game. I mean, it's just their final numbers were bad. 22 carries, 56 yards. Part of that, two of those attempts were, you know, EJ Warner being rushed. Uh, but, you know, four carries for 18 yards for Jakari Norwood, four carries for 13 yards for Ed Sadie, six carries for 11 yards for Darvon Hubbard. Quincy Patterson couldn't get anything going. And, uh, you know, you just, again, Memphis didn't exactly light the world on fire, but they at least had some semblance of being able to maybe take a couple of shots of play action because there was a little bit more, not much more, but a little bit more of a, a running game there to respect on Memphis's end. And it's like, I don't know how much they're going to be able to do if they can't get something cracking, at least in the running game, because there's, right. just, there's just no threat there. And it's, I mean, you, I, as you, as I sit there and listen, and as I, as I think back to the game and, and in the previous games, like, again, how, how, how do you, you know, get more attempts? You know what I mean? What's our number of plays we're running per game? Um, obviously we're not going fast. You know I mean? We're not playing a hurry up offensive style, but like, just imagine, what kind of yards are you going to to see statistically? You know what I mean to our listeners. If you the first drive, your three plays, the mm-hmm. second drive, your six plays, your third third drive, your three plays, three plays, three plays. Obviously, we got the field goal drive um, right before you know to go up three nothing, and then at half coming out of half three three and out three and out three and out three and out. So it's like you're if you're not sustaining drives, you're never going to see that. Like you just need one first down to kind of flip the field mm-hmm. you know we would sit there and talk about that during our uh you know bad times during the rule era and then even when we we struggle with with rod and, and offensively there it's like we have to find a way to get one first down to flip the field you know you're catching the ball and you're getting on the whatever you run it back to the 25 or the 30 yard line and you you know you get to the 40 you get one first down say you go out and you know what i mean it's third and five you incomplete you're on the 42 yard line you punt it you got those guys backed up to the 20 and make them go 80 yards for a score like mm-hmm. that's how you win football you know what I mean? That's how you win football games. That's how you play the game of football the correct way. Mm-hmm. And being an offensive guy, I love to go. I've told you this for a long time. I love the explosive plays. You know what I mean? Like, if we can get the 78-yarder and Jose scores, great. 
if we can, if you know, if he catches that inside fade, the great ball to, to him earlier in the game, hmm. you know, great. Yeah. Those are the ones that you have to connect on. Um, but if you can't sustain drives, you know, it's just going to look super muddy and super ugly and super slow after you just see three and out, I mean, six or seven or eight times. And that's the, the thing that's killing us. And as you mentioned, you know, the offensive line, I mean, that's, you know, we had a we had a long-winded talk last week about their situation and how, you know, I mean, we how we can go about, you know, moving our line of scrimmage and, you know, I mean, gaining positive yards on every run. That's a big deal. But I, I, I have faith in, you know, what Weeze is doing. And, again, I don't know anyone else, you know, really on the offensive staff on, you know, what their their plan is. And in a game like that, you would love to, you know, be able to move the football, you know, running it and maybe finding a little bit of juice that way. But and not have to throw that many times with with a true freshman. Um, but it'll be interesting to see again once they come out of this. You know, we'll talk about it later. You know, we talk about the bye week situation, but we'll see what they come out of uh, this week as, and um, you know, look forward to uh, the upcoming games. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, and it might sound like I'm like I'm picking on them, but a couple of Dewan Mathis mistakes in this game at wide receiver did did hurt them, and I was you know writing about this. You know, it, this is kind of subjective. If you want to look at a couple of turning points in the game, it's like, okay, they, they come out of that one first half drive where they go down there on the on the long pass to Jose Barbone. They go for it on fourth down. They come out of that drive empty-handed. What what could have happened there if they gotten some points, whether it was a field goal or a touchdown? Right. And then if you could also look at that, that Temple possession in the third quarter before Memphis scored their first touchdown. So they got second and seven from their own 15-yard line. Dewan's in the game at wide receiver looked like a miscommunication on that play. EJ threw in his direction where Dewan just never turned around. Then on third down, um, they had what they looked look like a 15 yard completion to, to Barbone would have given Temple a first down at its own 30. And instead they were hit with that, that plant, the penalty for an, an eligible receiver downfield. It, it looked initially like a phantom flag and you know, people yeah. are, fans are saying, what's going on? What's going on? Went back and watched it. And it, it looked like what happened there was Dewan lined up incorrectly, covered up Barbone. That's why he that made him ineligible. And again, I, it sounds to me like those might be the mistakes that someone like Dewan Mathis, who hasn't been playing wide receiver, makes. And again, no guarantees. Like I'm not saying that if like that play didn't happen or if that mistake didn't happen, the Temple just drives the ball down there yeah, with ease. Right. But after that, they got a punt. Zay Baines two weeks in a row makes a a, 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 a mistake on um, on special teams. This time they punt. He's flagged for a kick catch interference on that play. That allows Memphis to start the Temple forty five. They put together a ten play forty five yard drive. Brandon Thomas goes in for the touchdown. It's a seven three game, and that was the point where Memphis breaks through. Finally, they get a touchdown after being held right. scoreless. And before you know it, those three plays strung together really set up Memphis just on their way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're on the staff, I, I guess what I think about, like we were debating this on our Outscoop podcast, and I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like, um, is, you know, I mean, Ian Stewart's been involved in the game. You know, uh, Jose Barbone is still getting his snaps. Donica Sanders is still getting his snaps. But, you know, are they are they working extra hard? with Dewan this during the bye week at receiver, or are they looking at this and saying like, Hey, that kind of hurt us. Like maybe we don't have him out on the field as much. Is he taking snaps from guys like 
like some of the other guys, like a, like a Malik Cooper or Quasi Evans, or is it a situation where like, Hey, Quasi Evans, Malik Cooper, you you have your shot, but you're not practicing well enough to beat out Dewan here. Like, how do you see this going moving forward? Because again, I wouldn't expect Dewan to step out there and look like a seasoned receiver, but there were a couple of instances there where like he killed some, he killed some momentum and it kind of hurt him. Right. Making some mistakes that I think are kind of like not surprising for a guy that has barely played the position. Yeah, I um well obviously when you when you look at it, I think as a as a you know former coach, I don't think they're gonna put him out there just to make him happy mm-hmm. if he's not ready to play or if he, yeah. he's not um excuse me, doing the things he should be doing and, and knowing his assignments. I don't think that they're just putting him out there to keep him happy. That would be to me the furthest thing from what Coach Drayton has been talking about and people earning their number of plays out there and, and things of that nature. And plus, because they didn't hesitate to take his job away from him. Exactly right. You know, we and 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 EJ gave him a you know a ball down in the red zone, and you know he almost brought in and yeah, you know the lineup ones those those hurt those come back to hurt. But I think at the end of the day, if the wide receiver coach and the coordinator and you know the, you know the head guy believe that the one gives them an opportunity with with his height and his length and and the things that he can do on the outside edge, maybe blocking and things that because you know he's. He, you know, he's got statistics and, you know, balls thrown his way. It's like, is he doing more than Ahmad Anderson? And like you mentioned, Quazy and playing more than, even though Jordan Smith is a tight end and whatnot, but he's, you know, getting balls thrown to him, mm-hmm. you know, even more than Jordan sometimes. Like, where does he line up on that pecking order of, you know, guys who need to get the football to? And, and why are you throwing the ball to him on a fade if he's not ready? So I think they have to believe that, you know, he's either been doing a, a, a good job in the, you know, in the practices and, you know, knowing what he's doing in the game, um, knowing what he should be doing in the game, even though he went out there and didn't, uh, you know, line up correctly. And then the one throw, I'm sure there was like an RPO of some sort where EJ is able to just, you know, if it's off coverage, you know, go ahead and throw the out route or whatever it was, the hitch or slant, whatever it was that the one was going to block the safety or the corner for. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it'll last. I think as long as, you know, the one is given what he got and if no one's catching him on the depth chart, he'll be out there as, you know, as long as that doesn't happen one way or another. One of the things I wanted to um, ask you about before we talk a little bit about Hassan Reddick and what he's doing with the Eagles and your memories of him is, you know, you've, you, again, you've coached, you've played the game, you've coached the game. Temple's in a bye week right now, sort of, for the most part, bye week. They're not playing this weekend. They play, uh, they play again Thursday down in Orlando at UCF. So, Tell listeners what what this bye week looks like. What's a staff doing on a bye week? There are they how how do you balance out? Okay, we got to fix what's what's going wrong. We got to fix what's ailing us. But now it's also a time to go out and and mm-hmm. recruit. What would if you could give some listeners insight into like what a bye week looks like for a staff? Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. I think it's like I mentioned. You know, five weeks going strong. I think it's kind of the perfect time before heading into a hostile environment. Um, I think whatever Coach Drayton's um, – the thing that he feels is most important right now, I think is going to be his team and his team over the recruiting, I should say, like his team over recruiting. So I think that, again, if going back to some of the things that I've done, uh, you know, the staff is either going to be on the road immediately or they're going to be in um, doing some a lot of self-scout stuff. So I'm talking, you know, you're going back, and it's mostly – I say mostly, you know, the offensive coordinator and defense coordinator are doing a ton of this stuff throughout the year anyway – the GAs, the analysts are spending time saying like, all right, this is the first five weeks of the season. What are our tendencies? So, you know, if we're in a 
three by one set with the back offset week, we're 98% pass. So anytime a defensive coordinator sees this formation with the back week, they're going to be throwing the football. So then they could either set up their blitzes. They can be in a prevent defense. They can play cover two. They know you're not going to run it. What is your run pass ratio on third and four to six or third and one to two? Um, what's your run pass with the back to left or right pistol? What's your play action? You know, so all those different tendencies, you know, what are you blitzing to on defense? Are you blitzing formations? Uh, are you a personnel based defense? You know what I mean? Collins did a little bit of both of those things. I know when, when Knowles was here, he did something a little different. You know I mean? When you came out a certain formation, that's whenever they called their defense, but all those different tendencies um, as an offense and defense, um, you have to look back at like offensively. I remember we would say like, all right, what's our best run play? Okay, how many times do we run that this year? We're averaging 6.5 yards per carry, and we ran it four times. Why are we running counter four times if it's our best run play? Please, mm-hmm. what's the worst run play? Uh, we run inside zone 26 times. We've gained 1.4 yards per run. Get it out. It's done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is our best pass play and our protection. Why are we not doing more of this? This will be in the next game plan. Like, there's things that you can keep, things that you might not have known that mm-hmm. were successful that you can say, okay, let's put a little bit more of this in. They take some of this out because our offensive line's struggling to move the guys vertical. Let's do some pin and pull stuff, some stretch, maybe some more jet sweeps, stuff like that. But um, that's the football side of it. You know I mean? Usually the young guys are doing a ton of that stuff. Then positionally, you're obviously trying to find a way to, you know, see a little bit more of, um, you know, your next opponent. And obviously that'll, you'll have a little bit more time doing that. But now you're on the road. It's like, um, you know, guys are going to see, uh, obviously our committed guys to see exactly like I just saw Florida state kid try to commit to Florida state and they told him no, you know I mean? They offered him. He, he came from Texas to visit. He tried to commit. They said no. So obviously they went and seen the kid play mm-hmm. and uh, Florida state's playing some good football. They probably have someone higher than them that they want. Mm-hmm. This kid's out. So I'm sure they're going to go back and check on the quarterback from ocean towns. You know I mean? They're going to go check on their committed guys, make sure that those are the type of kids that they want do their research talk to people in the school, you know what I mean? Talk to coaches and teachers and, you know, see the kid and see how he is on the field and off the field and make sure you got the right type of kid that you want for your program. And try to find some, whether they're going the junior college route, trying to find some guys that can play immediately for us next year. And again, there's going to be some people that are all over the, you know, the transfer portal because there's kids hitting the portal. I just saw the big story about SMU kids sitting out already that are going to red shirt and, you know, hit the portal. So there's a lot of, there's a, it's probably even more than it used to be. You know, there's a bunch of different things and everyone's going to have their own uh, their own job when it comes to that during the bye week. You might be able to get a little bit of time with your family if you're lucky. And I'm sure Coach Drayton gave, gave the guys, a, you know what I mean, take take their kids to school or get them a Halloween costume or something along those lines to just kind of get refreshed, come back from the bye week. Same with the players. I'm sure they had a, you know, a couple of days off and try to figure out exactly – how they can get back to, you know, their winning ways and playing good football. But I always love the bye week because, like I said, you come back refreshed. feels like, I don't know, like sometimes you're in the office a little long. There might be earlier days. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know Stan's hours, but, you know, with Roll, we were there forever. Collins, we were there forever. And, you know what I mean, Rod was a little different. But then you go back and look at what you did successfully and what you're what you struggle with and then recruiting has got to be at the forefront and hopefully the personnel department has been doing that the whole offseason so they're gonna have everything planned out for these coaches mm-hmm. we had a couple of mailbag questions to get to here and then we'll close things out talking about Hassan 
Um, these, these two mailbag questions came in from Twitter. The first one comes from uh, this, the handle Temple Fan Al question there. So I would like both of your opinions on the current football uniforms. How do you like them compared to previous eras? What would you change about them, if anything? I mean, I think, again, as, as I sit here, if you look at my back behind me, I have a PlayStation 3, right? So I have a PlayStation 5. And I have a PlayStation 3, which I played the – excuse me, my brother downloaded the revamped NCAA football 2014. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing 2014 NCAA football. And even growing up, I always wanted to be a team with a cool uniform and colors mm-hmm. that I like. So I was always – I hate to admit this, but like Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I always try to turn Hawaii around. I'd always yeah. like Cincinnati. I love their colors. I love Cincinnati. I like red and black. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously everyone in the world that played football that's not from the 1970s and 1980s <laughs> and maybe the mid-90s, everybody loves Oregon, right? Every normal kid right now would love mm-hmm. to go to Oregon and see all the gear that they have. So it's a huge yeah. part of recruiting. It's not the only – like people hate our great uniforms that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just how it is now. So for me mm-hmm. – I think, you know, to have the different uniforms and combos are cool. I don't have a favorite one. Um, I like the one. I like the black. I like the gray. I like the ones we had last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a favorite um, with it. Um, with the, I, don't, I, I really don't have a favorite. I just know that whatever ones I wore in 2009, those weren't it. That's just my opinion. We had one, two jerseys and one pair of pants, and that's mm-hmm. kind of how we lived. But I like – if it were me, I'd be in the new era of cherry white, black, and I'd have maybe – a different style of gray. And I hate the big, big numbers. Those were terrible. I do. T- I, I don't like the, I think somebody commented on that, on that thread on this initial question. Yeah. I think the numbers look, you know, they've got Nike gear now, which is cool, but yeah, the numbers look just big and gawky. I, I don't, I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I know you try to change it up, but it's not like you're going to, like if I were Stan, when I come in, I'm saying, okay, these are uniforms. Nope. Out update. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. And you got to, I mean, you got to find a way to, like I said, I don't know what EO looks like. If it looks exactly the same as when Rod left or if they're making yeah, changes. And, yeah. They made some changes to it. Yeah. Um, I got that. I would be like, okay, this thing needs to be done when I get in there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're the head coach, you the kids and, you know, see your changes and how you think in your mindset. It's like, you can't have the same exact things around the office that the old guys had. I need different. I need new, I need more. You know what I mean? That's what the kids need, and that's what the kids want to see. So I'm kind of blind to it, but the ones that are kind of hit to the things that are going on in the world today want to see that stuff. Did you like the the temple helmets when you played? The what the helmets that said temple on it? Or ah, bigger, bigger they on were the- okay. They were okay. I think I think we liked anything that was different than what we had because mm-hmm. obviously we didn't have much. And I'm not saying that to to, to downgrade anybody or anybody that was mm-hmm. um, you know working for us or with us whenever I played, but you know, we didn't have much. Like I was wearing black mm-hmm. cleats with those white and cherry uniforms, and it was look just looked brutal. <laughs> now they have, you know what I mean, cool stuff all over the place. And uh, you know, wearing that Nike check is hot to me is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, another question we got here: uh, the the Twitter user is Bron uh, Hassan Stam. I, I apologize, Bron, if I'm mispronouncing your name. Uh, his question is: Can Temple make the playoffs in the expanded format in the next five years? I didn't even see that question. Just came Make in. Make the playoffs in an expanded format. I, I'd be lying if I said yes or no. I'd have to look really <coughs> – excuse me. i have to look into the number of teams and then where they're pulling from, you know, teams from and how many make it from the, you know, our, our group. 
you know, is it, is it going to be one from our group, two from our group? How's that going to go? I mean, anybody that plays like we did in what 2016, where you're eight, mm-hmm. nine, and oh, you know, you beat a ranked team, you beat another. I think, you know, we have Oak State, for instance, we have Oklahoma coming in four years and mm-hmm. they're fourth in the country. And, you know, we're 4 0 and they're 4 0. And it's college game day and we're beat Oklahoma. And then we end up going to 9 0. And I think anything is possible. I think there's obviously a, 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 it's a long shot. Um, but again, I'd be lying if I said I, you know, I did my research on, you know, really looking that far ahead. But I think once they make that decision, like, hey, the expanded format, what's it definitely going to look like? I can get some more information. Maybe you have a little bit more insight than I do on that. I mean, I would think like with the with the expanded format, even before you look at that, like to understand where Bron's going with this question, I think the more pointed way of saying it or thinking about it is like, okay, to be considered for like, um, and I honestly can't remember if it's like, if it's, oh God, I should have looked this up because I literally, it just came up. Is it, is it the, that they're taking the, um, I can't remember if they're taking the conference champions from wait, hold on. I'm not just looking at this right now. The expanded mm-hmm. format will include the six highest ranked. It's going to include the six highest ranked conference champions uh, with the remaining spots in the field to be made up of at large selections on the new structure, the four highest rated conference champions by the college football playoff committee. I mean, if, I mean, Temple, I mean, I guess the better way to think about it is, okay, how far away is Temple from being, like you said, that 2015, 2016 version of itself, like uh, a conference champion that's not only going to be a conference champion, but a really, really good conference champion, potentially like doing what what Cincinnati did. I think if in the next five years, I think it would be at the tail end of those next five years. Now, do they potentially have – the ability to get better quicker with maybe some transfer portal additions, perhaps, you know, but how, I don't know. I hate to sound negative. How, how does name image and likeness factor into this? If you start developing some good players, are are you now um, you're now recruiting every year you're recruiting, you're re-recruiting your guys every year. So you have to develop and retain talent and really focus on the retention part of it. Like let's, Again, this is completely, completely hypothetical, guys. So I'm not trying to, I'm not literally putting this out there, but like, you know, if um, a Kyle Williams comes in from Harrisburg High School next year and he lights the world of fire as a true freshman and he can run and he can catch the ball out of the backfield, or, or Jaquez Smith comes in from Florida and they've got two great backs, they're the stand and the staff are probably, you know, and Preston Brown are thinking, okay, I got to keep these guys happy here and make sure they don't get plucked by by somebody else uh, that might, or maybe they get a, an NIL deal at a, at a power five program. That's going to be part of it. But I think they're, they're closer to the back end of that five-year thing. I mean, they're obviously, they're not even a bowl eligible team right now. They won't be unless something changes dramatically. They're not going to a bowl game this year. They might be a six and six, seven and five team next year. If they start trending in that direction, I think they're maybe at the closest three years away or two or three, two more seasons, three more seasons away from being a conference champion. But then is in year four, is it they're like an elite conference champion where they're like 11 and one, 12 and oh, to be right. even in consideration to be like an at-large. Sure, why not, Bron? Maybe, but in that, maybe they can make the playoffs in that expanded format five years from now. It'll be tough, but you know, it's 
who knows what who knows what that expanded format is going to look like in five years, what the NCAA is going to look like in five years. It sounds like I'm throwing a bunch of different stuff out there. It's an interesting question, but I don't I don't know. But I think anything that's going to be happening with them being a very good elite team and elite program is going to be closer, I think, to the end of that five year projected spam that he's talking about. Appreciate those questions. Uh, like I said, I wanted to, one of the things that Adam and I want to start doing is start, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to get some, some guests for you, but I want to start uh, talking about some of the temple guys that are in the NFL because so many of the guys that are in the league now, uh, not all of them, but most of them come from that era, from that Matt rule era and uh, part of the Jeff Collins era. And one of them, again, if you're listening, we've got listeners in Philly, we've got listeners in Pittsburgh out where Adam is, but one guy who is continuing to prove himself after he really found his groove in the NFL after being a first round pick, of course, is Hassan Reddick. So if you're an Eagles fan, you know, he had another big game for the Eagles last week. He now has three and a half sacks, three forced fumbles. He's proving himself with now his third NFL franchise. I think the Cardinals, I think we can all agree that the Cardinals kind of miscast him and we're dropping him into coverage so much. And I know the guys have to drop into coverage, but he's at his best when he's pinning his ear back and really pressuring the quarterback. And he, he, did that last week to Trevor Lawrence in a game where the Eagles really needed it, where the, the weather was a factor. Adam, you were around him a lot. And one of the things I really like about covering football, I've said before, is it's really, you could argue that every sport's a developmental game, but I, I enjoyed whether it was Al, Al Golden, or or Steve Adazio, or Matt, and some of the guys over the years, and you'd just be walking out of the facility and you just ask them how they're doing, how their families are doing, and and in some of those conversations, like I remember Matt saying to me once, like, I'll tell you who's starting to really get it, a guy like uh, like Nate Harrison or this guy or that guy. And I, I can remember Matt saying to me, like, I'll tell you, Hassan, Hassan's got a chance. And I'd be like, really? Because, again, you know, for all I know, he's coming in from Haddon Heights. He's a walk on. Almost didn't like, you know, you know, almost left the program and uh, had to prove himself again. And uh, and. I remember Matt saying like, he's got a chance. He's, he's really got some ability if he can stay healthy and put it together. So he obviously was starting to see some things enough where he just like casually mentions it to me. What are you, what are your memories of Hassan? We know him now as a really good defensive end in the NFL and he's had a right. he's playing as well as anybody. What are your memories of, of Hassan? And like, when he, do you remember a time when you, whether it was on the field in a game in the practice or off the field, when you started to take a look at him and say, he's, Stude's starting to put it together, and he's like Matt said, he's got he's got a chance to go to go to the league. I don't know if there's you know necessarily one or two things. I just remember you know first and foremost like 2012, the kid played safety and running back in high school, obviously, mm-hmm. and then coming to Temple was a yeah no star guy, um, no stars, no offers, you know, a walk on, and then you know four years later, fast forward four and a half, whatever it was, five years later, now you know he's you know got 11 sacks in the AAC and. Year after that, he's you know first round draft pick and thirty four and a half sacks, fourteen forced fumbles. I mean, the, the the kid is a freak. I know when you talk to like you know when you listen to Mike Mayock back in the day, whenever Hassan was coming out, just talk about his you know his freakish athletic ways. You know what I mean? Like he was uber fast. Like I'm talking, if you watch him now, it's crazy. Just seeing his get off. Like I watched him last week, I think versus the Jaguars, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was Cam Robinson, he just kind of just shocked them. You know, pretending like he was getting blocked and just threw his big old butt to the ground and strip sacked Trevor Lawrence. And it's just like that get off and the way he just leans and, you know, the the way he can just contort his body is just like nobody can do it. You know what I mean? Like his combination of speed and athleticism 
And I, that's kind of why I know that obviously, you know, Matt loved him and, you know, coach snow loved him at the time, but he he's obviously had to, um, as we talk about a lot of guys like the Leighton Jordans, mm-hmm. we just talked about, he kind of reminds me a little bit of a son in a way, mm-hmm. obviously athletically, they're both kind of freakish. They're both a little undersized at some point or other, you know, with the weight, obviously Hassan's a bigger human now after getting into the, you know, the weight room a little more, obviously, and then eating more when you get into the league and the guys a different animal. Now I feel like Leighton's got that same kind of athleticism and that same kind of build where he can, you know, and that speed off the edge. I remember sometimes we're, you know, just watching him and Deion Dawkins go at it, you know, they fought a little bit and I would always get frustrated as a young GA or a young first time coach, just seeing them two kind of butt heads and just the competitive nature of, two future, you know, millionaires and former Temple Isles going yeah. at it day in and day out it was always cool to see. I remember him doing flips at practice and I'm like, yeah. Oh man, like that's when we knew it was like, okay, this dude got something different on him. Um, but he's a kid that a kid, he's a guy that carries a chip on his shoulder wherever he goes. Um, it just kind of seems like he can diagnose things a little faster than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? He kind of got a nose for the football. And like I mentioned earlier, and I say this all the time, I think a lot of the guys that are in the league for us right now that are successful and are, you know, can still carry that T around with them. I think they all have that chip on them shoulders. You know, I talk about Chappelle and Sean Bradley, Matakevich, like all those guys have chips on their shoulders for some reason or another, and they carry it with them. And they carry it, you know, on their, on their chest. And um, he's a special talent, man. He's, he's really impressive. I think the NFL knew that. I think the situation he ran into in Arizona wasn't, you know, fit-wise probably wasn't ideal. Again, I don't know the scheme and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Neither does anybody listening besides the guys that were there. It didn't work out there. Was successful with the next stop. And then, obviously, he's having a heck of a first couple of games in Philadelphia. And I know he's, you know, from seeing the story and seeing some of the things, he's he's surely happy to be home. And it's pretty cool to just continue to see him, uh, I guess you could say, rep Temple and mm-hmm. continue to, you know, talk about Temple and, you know, kind of where he's where he's from and the things that he's gone through and how he's gone about it. Like I said, man, being a competitive guy with a chip on his shoulder in his hometown, playing for a team he grew up loving is a super cool story. And again, I think he's just scratching the surface. I'm not saying he's going to break the all time sack record or anything like that. But uh, the way he's going right now, he's on a different level than, you know, most pass rushers in the NFL. Well, Adam, what do you remember? Just a final question for you. What do you remember about him? Because he wasn't like necessarily, again, especially like he was, I mean, Fran kind of advocated for him, right? Advocated. And then Matt comes back after the year away. And so he was still kind of kind of there. And we, you guys knew he was a South Jersey guy, but it's not like he was a preferred, preferred walk-on where the staff had like actively recruited him and said, hey, like, we'd love to scholarship you if you, we could, but our numbers aren't there, but just stick around. It wasn't like that type of story. He kind of had to prove himself. All these guys obviously have to prove themselves. But, like, what do you remember about him in terms of him? Like, you talk about that chip on his shoulder. He had to have a chip on his shoulder even just to prove himself on Temple's roster, much less proving himself at the NFL level. What do you remember about that piece of him, even like having that chip on his shoulder before he even got to the league? What did he have to do to prove himself to you guys? I know you weren't his position coach, but right. you're around the program. What did he have to do to like even prove himself to say like, Oh, Hey, can I run with the ones in practice now? What else do you guys need to see? Like, what did you see from him in that regard? I think once, I think everyone that comes into college, 95% of the kids have a little bit of immaturity. Mm-hmm. Um, even Hassan, a guy that's don't necessarily came from, I say nothing, like 
obviously athletically speaking, you know, he didn't have scholarships and we talked about that earlier. Um, Cause he, he got hurt. Yeah. He was hurt. Yeah. Was, yeah. He got hurt. And then obviously, yeah. you know, you're talking about it. Um, he, you know, his body wasn't as defined as it was now. He wasn't um, as big and as fast, you know, coming off an injury. Like can teams trust those guys? Obviously you had someone advocating for him, which was a big deal. And then I think at that time at Temple, it's like any guy that wanted to come walk on locally that we could and had some form of, you know, athletic, you know, side of them, you know, we were going to, we were going to test them out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when he got there, you could see, like I mentioned, um, his, his athleticism and, you know, the burst and the suddenness and the quickness and, you know what I mean? All those things were visible. It's like, you know, can you get out of his own way? Can he, you know, cut down the immaturity and, you know, very quickly he did that. And again, once you get a little success, I think it might've been year two for him. He started, you know, playing in a couple of games and, you know, got himself a sack. And then, you know, you gain some weight and you put him in situations to be successful rushing the passer. And then from there on out, it's like, hey, sorry, but this is our guy. And this dude just gets after the pass rusher like no one else in our league. You know, but he, you know, he got tutored by, you know, he got to see praise work. And, you know what I mean? He got mm-hmm. to see guys on the defensive line that were just guys, you know, some, some you know, Ionitis and seen, you know, Tavon Young and Matikavich, all those dudes get, get drafted and seen the work that you have to put in to, to get to where they want to be. So, I mean, again, I think he just carries that chip and wherever he goes. Good stuff, Adam. So we will come to you guys a little bit earlier next week with Temple on the road down in Orlando next Thursday playing UCF. These next couple of weeks are going to be playing on a Thursday night and then a Friday night the following week they're playing back home after being on the road. They'll host uh, the host uh, Tulsa on Friday, October 21st. So we'll come to you with an episode a little bit a little bit earlier next week with the game being on Thursday. So thanks again for listening and thanks to you, Adam. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right, guys. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.